And before we get into God's word, I just invite you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for this day, Lord. We want to thank you that we can begin this series, Lord, Discover Prophecy. Lord, you've given us prophecy in the Bible to help us understand, Lord, that your word can be trusted. You've given us prophecy, Lord, to help us uh, understand the things that would take place near the close of time. And so, Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to be here with us, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would touch our hearts, and that we would have an experience with you tonight and each night of our series, Lord. Bless each one of us, Lord, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He was born in New York City, and he was brilliant. At the age of 22, he began what would soon become a very successful uh, investment securities firm on Wall Street. Now, the investment industry is one in which large amounts of trust are needed. In order to deposit your money in a bank, you need to be able to trust your bank, right? And you need to be able to trust that that money is going to be there when you need it. And when you get into investment securities, you're not dealing with small change. You're dealing with very large sums of money. Typically, when you invest money in a bank or a savings account, the bank takes that money and they reinvest it. That's legal and that's how things work and they give you a return on their investments. Now, unfortunately, this individual's wealth management system was not all that it appeared to be. And late in the year 2008, it all came crashing down. Bernie Madoff had been operating a Ponzi scheme. Now, in a Ponzi scheme, I get money from you and I promise you a return. And then I get money from your neighbor and I use that, your neighbor's money to pay you your return. And uh, it cannot go on indefinitely. It's like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? And before long, it will collapse. And that's exactly what happened with Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. There was $18 billion involved. That's a lot of money, isn't it, friends? How much exactly is $18 billion? Well, if you were to spend $100 a second all day, every day for five and a half years, you would end up spending $18 billion, as much money as was lost in Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. It was an absolute tragedy. Many people trusted this man with their hard-earned money, sometimes with everything that they had. And sadly, that trust was misplaced. And in many cases, people not only lost their fortune, but some people even lost their lives. Friends, we need to be careful about who we trust, don't we? It seems that in the past, people trusted others more readily. There was a time not so long ago when people could leave their doors unlocked and their windows open, and they didn't have to worry about someone breaking in and taking things. Now people make sure that everything is locked up and that the security cameras are on. People trusted Bernie Madoff. They, they believed that if they gave him a whole lot of money, he'd give them a whole lot more in return. Now, some investors made out quite well with this Ponzi scheme, but others experienced the truth of the age-old saying, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So who can you trust, friends? Can you trust God? Can you, it's, it's a fair question to ask, right? Well, if you were raised in a Christian home and you were raised reading the Bible and going to church and you call yourself a Christian, you would likely say that I feel like I can trust God. I feel like I can trust this book, the Bible. 
But let's stop and consider that the Bible makes some pretty amazing claims. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back soon. It claims that there is a real heaven, that is, is a real literal place. It also claims that there is a God who spoke the world into existence out of nothing. The Bible says that, that God said, let there be light, and there was light, the Bible says. That's a pretty big claim, friends. It also says that long ago there was a worldwide flood that destroyed the entire world. The Bible also says that a a resurrection took place and a man named Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead three days later. The Bible also tells us that we'll experience peace when we choose to trust in God. It promises forgiveness of sin and eternal life to all who have repented of their sins. These are pretty big claims, aren't they? And as we look at the Bible tonight, friends, we recognize that it says these incredible things. And if those things are true, then they have a powerful impact in our lives. Amen? And it can have a powerful impact on the world around us. So what is it that makes the Bible true? How can we say, I'm confident that this book is true? Well, friend, let's go to the Bible this evening, and we will see what God says in his holy word. You're welcome to follow along in your own Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen as well. Sometimes we go a little quick, so you may have to catch it on the screen, but um, tonight we'll be in Daniel chapter 2 primarily. But our first text is here in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So God sticks his neck out there, friends, and he puts himself on the line and he says, I am God, and to prove it, I'll tell you things that are going to happen before they ever happen. Now, friends, do you know anyone that can accurately foretell the future? I don't. But maybe under certain circumstances, uh, you could. For instance, if you put a plate of cookies down on a table in a living room and you sent a bunch of kids into that room, I could tell you exactly what's going to happen to those cookies. They're going to get eaten, right? But beyond the obvious, we don't do too good at predicting the future, right? Even the weather forecasters mess up with all their sophisticated technology, right? So can anybody really predict the future? God puts himself on the line and says, I can. And in the Bible, God gives us something verifiable. He gives us something that we can compare with history. He gives us something that we can measure so that we can know whether God was right or wrong. Tonight, as we introduce the Discover Prophecy series, we're going to look at a foundational prophecy in the book of Daniel. And really, it's an introductory presentation, and maybe some of you might be familiar with it already, and if so, that's okay. Um, If it's new to you, pay close attention, because when you really dig into the Bible, you'll find that what we look at tonight forms the basis, the foundation of almost all of the end-time prophecies of the Bible. That would include large portions of the books of Daniel and Revelation, books that are especially uh, applicable in these last days. The whole Bible is applicable, amen? But these prophecies in Daniel and Revelation are vitally important for us to understand in these last days. You could describe that what we look at tonight as the master key to Bible prophecy. So let's go to the book of Daniel 
And we will, we will be in the book of Daniel chapter 2 for quite a while here tonight. So if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, you're welcome to. As we look at Daniel chapter 2, keep in mind what we're doing. We want to see if we can validate what God has said. If what God has said is true, then we will see that tonight. And if it's not true, we will see that instead. So beginning in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, saying, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. Friends, this is one of history's most famous cases of amnesia. The king dreamed something, but he could not remember that dream. Has that ever happened to you? I'm sure it has. You, 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 you dream uh, an amazing dream, and you wake up, and you say, wow, that was amazing, that was incredible, and then just moments later, it starts to fade, right? And, and you want to go tell that person, maybe your spouse, your dream, and sometimes you just forgot all the details of your dream. And um, more often than not, if you have some sort of strange dream, um, it's probably because we've eaten too much pizza the night before, right? <laughs> That's often the case. But friends, this was not a pizza, pizza dream in the book of Daniel. This was a God dream. The reason it was significant was because the ancient kings believed that the gods spoke to them through dreams. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar believed happened to him. And he was right, because the God of heaven was speaking to him here in Daniel chapter 2. So he called his wise men together, and he, and he wanted them to explain what his dream was all about. After all, that's what his wise men were, were there for. It's like uh, the president having his cabinet, you know, his advisors, uh, and reaching out to them for help. Look at what the Bible says here in Daniel chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Does that sound good, friends? That doesn't sound too good. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now, how would you react if you were in a situation like that? <laughs> it's a tough situation to be in, isn't it? Tell him what he dreamed and the meaning or die. Pretty serious consequences, friends. And Nebuchadnezzar wasn't kidding. He meant it. Now, a more typical request would have been, uh, here's what my dream was. Now tell me the interpretation. And in a situation like that, the wise men could have just made something up. But in this case, he said, I can't remember the dream. So the wise men were stuck. Now, there are people out there who claim to be able to read the future. Am I correct? There are crystal ball gazers. There are palm readers. There are psychics. You can call up the psychics, and for $1.99 a minute, they will tell you what your lucky numbers are. But friends, it is totally ridiculous, isn't it? Because that's not how God works. He doesn't work through crystal ball gazers. Look at what the Bible says here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. This may be very familiar to some of you. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All, all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will do what? 
he will direct your paths. Now, even if it would have said he might direct your paths, that would still be pretty good, right? But it's with God, it's much better than that. You can trust him and you can lean on him. But the, but the thing is, is that you need to be all in. And the problem with a lot of people is that they're not all in. Um, they're either half in or a little bit in or not in at all. But when you're all in and when you acknowledge God in all your ways, God shall direct your paths. Friends, this is his promise for you and for me. Amen? Amen. It's a promise that you can take to the bank. You don't need a psychic. You don't need a fortune teller. You don't need a palm reader. You can go directly to the God of heaven and you can know that he is with you. Continuing on in Daniel chapter 2, verse 7, the so-called wise men, they come to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. So if you notice what's going on here, the wise men are trying to get Nebuchadnezzar to uh, give, them, give them the details of the dream so that way they could make something up and uh, they would have something to work with. But the king read right through their tricky little tactics and he said this, he said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered and said, uh, answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests. There's no doubt about that, right, friends? This is a difficult thing, <laughs> a difficult task. And there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Now, here's where things get difficult for Daniel. Evidently, Daniel was not there with that group of wise men at that moment. You see, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were considered to be part of the king's circle of wise men. They were advisors to the king, you could say. Uh, actually, his friends' names were, the, in Hebrew, they were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And shortly before this, Nebuchadnezzar had um, sent his armies and attacked Jerusalem, and they had brought back some of the best and brightest young people back to Babylon. And they enrolled them in the schools of Babylon, and they wanted them to be uh, wise men, and some of them ambassadors even to other countries. And among them were Daniel and his three friends. And when they got to Babylon... God helped them to find favor before the king. You read about that in Daniel chapter 1. They did such a good job of representing God and showing their moral and intellectual worth that the king employed them in his circle of wise men. So when the king said, destroy all the wise men, that included Daniel and his three friends. So what did Daniel and his three friends do? Well, the Bible tells us in Daniel 2.17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Michelle and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. In other words, friends, they went home to pray. And if you were to forget almost everything that I say tonight, remember this one thing. 
remember to pray. Talk to God. Anybody can do it, friends. Even if you can't speak, you can pray with your thoughts. God doesn't ask you to come before him with the Gettysburg Address or with the I Have a Dream speech. You don't have to be in order to talk to God. You can just talk to God like you would talk to your friend. Amen? Peter was sinking one day, one of the disciples of Jesus. He was sinking in the water and he cried out to Jesus and he prayed one of the shortest prayers, if not the shortest prayer in the Bible. He said, Lord, save me. Jesus heard and answered Peter's prayer. And you know what, friends? God wants to hear and answer your prayers as well. So Daniel and his friends, they prayed to the God of heaven. And what did God do? Did God come through for them? Let's see what the Bible says. Daniel chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says, Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Notice, friends, that the Bible says that Daniel didn't make up an interpretation. He didn't just think this stuff up, up in his head. It says that God revealed it to him in a night vision. Then Daniel's brought into the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the planet, and he starts to explain his dream to him. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, Daniel said, You, O king, were watching, and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled how much of the earth? The whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell it, the interpretation of it before the king. Now imagine King Nebuchadnezzar hearing all of this. I can imagine him scooting up to the edge of his throne and his eyes are getting big as Daniel is describing exactly what he saw in his dream. I can imagine his jaw dropping as he hears Daniel telling him about this image and, and all the different metals and everything. It's just amazing. And in the next eight verses, friends, God reveals to Nebuchadnezzar and to all of us what is going to take place over the next 2,500 years of human history and beyond. Now remember, God is putting himself on the line here. If what God says is not true, then I would, I would encourage you to walk away from the, from the Bible. If it's a document that can't be trusted, then why bother with it? But you owe it to yourself to study these things out for yourself, friends. You owe it to yourself. The fact is, is that this prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 provides the basis for almost all of the last day prophecies in the Bible, in the books of Daniel and Revelation. So if Daniel chapter 2 isn't reliable, then all these other prophecies collapse like a house of cards. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 2 here and look at verse 37 and 38. Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the, of the field, and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. 
I can imagine a smile of satisfaction must have come, come across King Nebuchadnezzar's face as he heard those words, you are this, king, are this head of gold. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was like the Babylonian empire personified. Everyone knew that the military conquests and the architectural splendor of Babylon was in a large measure due to his skill. So what did this head of gold mean? Well, it represented the empire of Babylon, which Nebuchadnezzar ruled. Uh, and this, this empire ruled the world from 605 B.C., all the way to 539 BC. And interestingly, it was a nation known for having an abundance of gold. Babylon was a powerful kingdom in the ancient world. And as a matter of fact, a cuneiform tablet was found that contained a letter from King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And it said this, the whole earth was prostrate at Babylon's feet. The whole earth Babylon, the city which is the delight of my eyes, which I have glorified, may it last forever. Friends, that's what Nebuchadnezzar thought. In fact, no one at the time thought that Babylon would ever be destroyed. It was such a great and amazing empire and powerful. But notice what the Bible says here in Daniel chapter 2, verse 39. It says, But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. In other words, Daniel was telling Nebuchadnezzar, that his kingdom would not last forever. Babylon would eventually be conquered by the next power, represented by the chest and arms of silver in the dream. And as you can see, what's happening here, friends, is that the Bible is interpreting itself. You don't have to guess what the head of gold is. You don't have to guess what the chest and arms of silver are because the Bible actually tells us. So when you're studying Bible prophecy, look for those verses that explain the, what the important symbols of prophecy are and what they mean. A few chapters later in Daniel chapter 5, verse 38, the Bible actually names the next kingdom that would conquer Babylon. Here Daniel is uh, still alive and he's talking with Belshazzar, the last king of Babylon, and he tells him this. When the, when the writing is on the wall, maybe some of you have read that chapter in Daniel 5 where uh, there's handwriting on the wall, and he, he interprets it, and he says, Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And friends, in that very night, the Medo-Persian Empire conquered Babylon. Thus, the chest and arms of silver, shown in the dream, represented the nation, the, the united empire of Medo-Persia, which ruled from 539 to 331 BC. The Bible predicted it. And history verifies it. But even the Medo-Persian Empire would not last forever. Daniel chapter 2 verse 39 goes on to say, then, a, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over how much of the earth? All the earth. A few chapters later in Daniel chapter 8 verse 21, Daniel has another parallel vision to the dream in Daniel chapter 2. And the angel Gabriel describes this next kingdom. It says, and the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. Now, friends, I have a question for you. Who was the first king of Greece? Alexander the Great, right? There's a few history buffs in here. It was through Alexander the Great and his military might that Greece dominated the then known world. He conquered the world very rapidly, but he died young. He died at the age of 33 in Babylon, of all places. After his death, his empire was weakened and it split into several parts. 
until finally on June 22, 168 BC, at the Battle of Pydna, perished the empire of Alexander the Great, 144 years after his death. Now this is written by uh, historian Theodore Mumsen in his book, The History of Rome. So here we see that the Bible predicted it, and history is verifying it. So, so far we see that there were three kingdoms that would rule in succession. There was Babylon, then there was Medo-Persia, and then there was Greece. But it doesn't end there. The Bible describes that there is a fourth kingdom that would come on the scene. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 40, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as what? Iron. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. Greece, Greece was conquered by the powerful armies of Rome as depicted in Nebuchadnezzar's dream as the legs of iron. Pagan Rome came into power around 168 BC and it ruled all the way to 476 AD. Historians even refer to Rome as the Iron Monarchy of Rome. The great English historian Edward Gibbon, though not a Christian and not a Bible believer himself, wrote these words in his book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman, Roman Empire. He said this, he said, The arms of the Republic, that is the Roman Republic, was sometimes vanquished in battle, but always victorious in war. Advance with rapid steps to the Euphrates, the Danube, the Rhine, and the ocean. The images of gold, silver, or brass that might serve to represent the nations and their kings were successively broken by what? The Iron Monarchy of Rome. Now, Edward Gibbon knew that Rome was a republic. He had just said it in the previous slide. But notice how he seems to correlate the metals as representing nations of the world. Now, keep something in mind here. The prophecy of Daniel chapter 2 was predicted hundreds of years before these events took place. So God accurately predicted four kingdoms, but what would happen to this fourth kingdom? Let's see what the Bible says, friends. We want to go to the Bible for all of our answers, amen? Daniel chapter 2, verse 41, the Bible says, Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be what? Divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. So God said plainly right here that Rome wouldn't be conquered, but instead it would be divided. So what happened to Rome? What happened to ancient Rome? Well, rather than uh, another great kingdom coming and conquering Rome, Rome fell apart from the inside. Through luxury, through political corruption, through moral decay, Rome lost its stability and it lost its power. And it became an easy prey for the barbarian tribes in Western Europe to come and challenge the empire. And this happened between uh, AD 351 and until Rome's eventual fall in AD 476. So these invasions by the, by the barbarian tribes divided the empire and formed the foundation for the nations of Europe today. Daniel chapter 2, verse 42 and 43 says, it continues to describe what Nebuchadnezzar saw in vision. It says, And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not do what? 
adhere. Now, the King James uses the word cleave, and the English Standard Version of the Bible says that they will not hold together to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. So the Bible tells us that people would try to reunite Europe, but that they would fail. And down through history, we see that many have tried and many have failed. If you were to travel to Paris, you would see evidence that Napoleon was actually on a conquest to become the emperor of a revived Roman Empire. But it didn't work. Kaiser Wilhelm, Adolf Hitler, they tried to do the same thing. They tried to, to unite Europe. They were on a quest to do that, but it didn't work. There was even a time when Queen Victoria was known as the grandmother of Europe, and King Christian IX of Denmark was known as the father-in-law of Europe. There was so much intermarriage that was going on in an attempt to reunite the Roman Empire that people saw it for what it was. But did they succeed? No, they did not, friends. And that was because they couldn't. Today, people are trying to uh, reunite Europe through diplomatic means, but it hasn't worked. Anybody heard of Brexit? I'm sure some of us have, if, you, if you've watched the news in the last couple of years. Uh, with Brexit happening, it looks as though even these diplomatic attempts are failing at uniting Europe. And that's because God has said that they will not adhere to one another. They will not cleave to one another. They will not hold together, the Bible says, one to another, just as iron does not mix with clay. During World War II, Franz Hazel was a soldier in the German army. He was sent to the front lines. He was placed there because he was a conscientious objector, meaning he didn't want to fight in the war, but he was prepared to serve his country. And so they thought that they could get rid of him quickly by placing him on the front lines. During that experience, he received a request from his commanding officer to come to his makeshift office, and he was asked a very pointed question. He said, they said to him, do you think Germany is going to win this war? You see, they asked Hazel this because he had been giving Bible studies to, to some of the other soldiers in his battalion, and his commanding officers had learned that Hazel was telling them that there were some questions as to whether or not Hitler was going to win the war or not, and he wanted to know. Hazel paused for a moment. He didn't know exactly how to answer it because he could have ended up getting court-martialed or killed if he says something wrong to his commanding officer. So he said a, a short, silent prayer in his mind, and then suddenly he had an idea. He asked his commanding officer if this was an official question or an unofficial question. And the officer said, well, I'll let you answer it unofficially. You see, they had an unwritten code in their officer's group that you could do that. So Hazel took off his hat and put, pulled out a small Bible from his shirt pocket. He opened it up to Daniel chapter 2, what we've been looking at here tonight, and he started going through the prophecy exactly as we've gone through tonight. He also had a small piece of paper, which he unfolded from his pocket, and it contained a picture of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. And Hazel went through the whole prophecy with his commanding officer. And when he finished the prophecy and got down to the feet of iron and clay, that did not cleave one to another. He said, this is Europe. This is the time in which we live today. 
And just as the iron and clay do not cleave one to another, I am sure that Hitler will not win this war. There will not be a third Reich that will last a thousand years. There was a long pause in the office, and his commanding officer asked him for his Bible and requested that he come back the next morning, and he dismissed him. He went to sleep that night, and the next morning at 9 a.m., he was in the office of his commanding officer. This time, there were also two other commanding officers that were there, um, high-ranking officers that had joined him that Hazel didn't recognize. And at that moment, his officer once again took off his hat, and he told everyone else to do the same. And he said that nothing would ever be repeated outside of that room. And he handed Hazel back his Bible. And, and uh, he said, I want you to tell me everything that you told me yesterday, and don't leave a single detail out. Hazel opened up his Bible to Daniel chapter 2, and he went through the entire prophecy that we've seen here tonight. And when he got down to the feet of iron mixed with clay, he said, Hitler will not win this war. Hitler's third Reich won't last a thousand years. And when he finished, Hazel was dismissed. And as he was heading out the door, his commanding officer said, Oh, by the way, I should introduce you to the two men that are here with me. He introduced the officer on his right and said, This officer was a history professor at a very prestigious university in Germany before joining, before, uh, joining the military. And he's confirmed all the dates and all the kingdoms that you have described in this study. This other officer here he introduced was a high school history teacher, and he's also confirmed the sequence of events. I thank you, Franz Hazel. You are free to go. Hazel left rejoicing that day because he was able to share God's word with these very influential men in his battalion. He knew that God was faithful. And you know what, friends? Six months later, the war ended. And now they had to get from the heart of Russia all the way back to Germany, a journey over 1,000 miles. And unbeknownst to Hazel, his commanding officer had begun saving fuel and rationing it six months earlier. So because he had been convinced in that Bible study that Hitler would not win the war, that Germany would not win and that they would need enough fuel to make it home. And by God's grace, friends, they made it back. They made it back safely, and Hazel was one of the first ministers back on duty in the country of Germany after World War II. We want to go back now to that same prophecy that Hazel shared with his commanding officer. God said that four kingdoms would rise and that the fourth would be divided. God predicted it, and that's exactly what happened. Therefore, the Bible has demonstrated tonight that it is indeed a trustworthy book. Therefore, we should be able to trust the God of the Bible, that he is also trustworthy, because God inspired it, amen? It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. God said, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. You know, my friends, you can have hope tonight in a world that is falling apart. It's spinning out of control. The Bible reveals that there is a God that holds the future in his hands. God is not distant or unapproachable. He is present 
and he is here with us. The Bible says that his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Prophecy reveals where this world is heading, and God saw it and told us ahead of time. The prophecies of the Bible are indeed accurate and reliable, even though they were given millennia ago. So what happens after Rome was divided? Well, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 2, 44, it says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Friends, Babylon came and went. Medo-Persia came and went, and Rome is long gone. And one day soon, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Amen? Amen. Friends, I want to be a part of that kingdom. How about you? The Bible continues. It says, And the kingdom shall be not left shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume how many of the kingdoms? All these kingdoms. And it shall stand for how long? Forever and ever and ever. Notice, friends, that it is not a kingdom that will coexist with these earlier kingdoms. It says that it will consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Have you seen that tonight, friends? The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So my question for you tonight is, can God be trusted? Indeed, he can. Can the Bible be trusted? Yes. Indeed, it can. We see that very clearly from this prophecy in Daniel chapter 2. So friends, whatever you're going through tonight, God has not forgotten you. He's not unaware of what's going on in your life. He knows you and he has a plan for each and every one of you. God is a good God. A God that can be trusted. A God that can be relied upon. He's a God who comes through on his promises. And if all of these prophecies are true, then God's grace is true. Amen? God's forgiveness is true. God's love is true. And in fact, you can experience each of these things in your life tonight. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Soon that rock will come. Soon it will strike the image on its feet and we will be going home. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of this old world. It's falling apart. Soon Christ's eternal kingdom will be established. And the truth of it is, friends, is that God wants you and me and everyone out there to be a part of it. He died for you so that you could live forever with him. And you can have hope tonight because his promises are sure. And friends, his promises are for you and for me. We need to know those promises, amen? We need to search the scriptures, the Bible says, so that we can understand these promises and claim them in our lives. How many of you want to be a part of Christ's new heavenly kingdom? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together as we close here our first presentation. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have accurately predicted what would happen in human history. Lord, you've told us that there would be four nations that would come on the scene. They all came and went. And Lord, we are now living in the time of divided Europe. Lord, we know that we are living in the toenails of time, so to speak. 
And that the next thing that will happen, Lord, is that you will come and you will rescue your people. Lord, we want to be among that number. Lord, we want to be ready and waiting when you return. So, Lord, we pray that you would work in our lives. Lord, we've seen tonight that you are not a far-off God. We've seen that you are a God that is close. Emmanuel, God with us. So, Lord, we pray that you would live in our hearts tonight, that you would continue to teach us the truths of your word. Lord, help us to understand your word better than we ever have before. Lord, we're truly living in amazing times, Lord. And, Father, I pray that you would help us to be diligent students of your word. Lord, bless us as we continue to study. Bless us as we continue to meet here for Discover Prophecy, Lord, that that as we go on this journey, Lord, that you would be our teacher is our humble prayer, and we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.